just long enough to calculate the new trajectory, and then we climbed into the copters and set off for the target area. All we expected to find, of course, was a heap of magnesium looking as if a bulldozer had gone over it. We knew that Goliath could not eject his parachute while David was sitting on top of him, any more than David could use his motors while Goliath was clinging beneath. I remember wondering who was going to break the news to Mavis, and then realizing that she would be listening to the radio and would know all about it as soon as anyone. We could scarcely believe our eyes when we found the two rockets still coupled together, lying almost undamaged beneath the big parachute. There was no sign of David, but a few minutes later, they called to say that he had been found. The plotters at number two station had picked up the tiny echo from his parachute and sent a copter to collect him. He was in hospital twenty minutes later, but we stayed out in the desert for several hours checking over the machines and making arrangements to retrieve them. When at last we got back to base, we were pleased to see our best-hated science reporters among the mob being held at bay. We waved aside their protests and sailed on into the ward. The shock and the subsequent relief had left us all feeling rather irresponsible and perhaps childish. Only David seemed unaffected. The fact that he had just had one of the most miraculous escapes in human history had not made him turn a hair. He sat there in the bed, pretending to be annoyed at our jibes, until we had calmed down. Well, said Jimmy at last, what went wrong? That's for you to discover, David replied. Goliath went like a dream until fuel cutoff point. I waited then for the five-second pause before the explosive bolts detonated and the springs threw him clear, but nothing happened, so I punched the emergency release. The lights dimmed, but the kick I'd expected never came. I tried a couple more times, but somehow I knew it was useless. I guessed that something had shorted in the detonator circuit and was earthing the power supply. Well, I did some rather rapid calculations from the flight charts and ABACs in the cabin. At my present speed, I'd continue to rise for another 200 kilometers and would reach the peak of my trajectory in about three minutes. Then I'd start the 250-kilometer fall and should make a nice hole in the desert four minutes later. All told, I seem to have a good seven minutes of life left, ignoring air resistance, to use your favorite phrase. That might add a couple of minutes to my expectation of life. I knew that I couldn't get the big parachute out, and David's wings would be useless with the 40-ton mass of Goliath on its tail. I'd used up two of my seven minutes, before I decided what to do. It's a good job I made you widen that airlock. Even so, it was a squeeze to get through it in my spacesuit. I tied the end of the safety rope to a locking lever and crawled along the hull until I reached the junction of the two steps. The parachute compartment couldn't be opened from the outside, but I'd taken the emergency axe from the pilot's cabin. It didn't take long to get through the magnesium skin. Once it had been punctured, I could almost tear it apart with my hands. A few seconds later, I'd released the chute. The silk floated aimlessly around me. I'd expected some trace of air resistance at this speed, but there wasn't a sign of it. The canopy simply stayed where it was put. I could only hope that when we re-entered atmosphere, it would spread itself without fouling the rocket. I thought I had a fairly good chance of getting away with it. The additional weight of David would increase the loading of the parachute by less than 20%, but there was always the chance that the shrouds 
would chafe against the broken metal and be worn through before I could reach Earth. In addition, the canopy would be distorted when it did open, owing to the unequal lengths of the cords. There was nothing I could do about that. When I'd finished, I looked about me for the first time. I couldn't see very well, for perspiration had misted over the glass of my suit. Someone had better look into that. It can be dangerous. I was still rising, though very slowly now. To the northeast, I could see the whole of Sicily and some of the Italian mainland. Farther south, I could follow the Libyan coast as far as Benghazi. Spread out beneath me was all the land over which Alexander and Montgomery and Rommel had fought when I was a boy. It seemed rather surprising that anyone had ever made such a fuss about it. I didn't stay long. In three minutes, I would be entering the atmosphere. I took a last look at the flaccid parachute, straightened some of the shrouds.